Well, so this morning, this is where we're starting with our Christmas series, is really talking through, like, we live in this anxious world. Sometimes Christmas is one of the most anxious times of the year, and I'm sure, you know, you've felt anxious, haven't you? Have you, have you ever, like, considered yourself? Like, I, I, man, I feel some anxiousness, you know? Or maybe you even consider yourself an anxious person. Did you know that 50 million Americans this year, according to statistics, will suffer from a panic attack or anxiety or a phobia, an anxiety disorder. It's one of the biggest issues of mental health of our time. I mean, it it faces teenagers today face levels of anxiety and feel levels of anxiety greater than they've ever felt before. The chances are that you or that someone you know faces anxiety on a regular basis. You know, according to, according to a recent survey, a recent like, study, the U.S. is one of the most anxious countries in the world. Isn't that weird? Like, we, don't, we have more, we have access to more, and yet we are more anxious. And maybe that's because our society, as a society, we live at a faster pace than we ever have before. Things change faster. We're informed faster, right? Like, in generations past, like when a tragedy happened, you didn't know about every single tragedy in the world. And when you did, you had to wait for the 6 o'clock news. It didn't come on your phone all day long, one after another, and to give you this perspective that all that was left in the world was tragedy. That forgetting about all the good things, because you don't get those on your phone, you only get the alerts of other things. And on top of that, we're just... We're trying to live our lives, and it's no wonder that we feel anxious. So let me try to maybe, before we talk about anxiety, talk a little bit about what is anxiety. Let me attempt to maybe describe a little bit of it for you. Um, anxiety isn't this thing where we fear something that is actually happening right now in our present. Anxiety is about something that might happen in our future something that we're afraid of could happen. It's like, how many of you, uh, so I hate snakes. Anybody of uh, snake haters in the room? Okay, like, like I hate snakes, scream like a girl, hate snakes, will kill them, and hang them from trees around my property to warn the other snakes not to come onto my property, right? This is, this is my feeling about snakes, you know? So it's like Indiana Jones, you know, why does it have to be snakes? That's why I feel every time I see a snake. So any one of, so those of you who know that, like, you know when you walk out in the yard, you see a snake, you have a fight or flight response. Immediately, it comes to you, right? You're not like, ooh, let me get down and play with the snake. You know, I have people, my nephews who do that, they have, like, a snake as a pet, and I'm like, they're, like, coming around, like, don't get that thing near me. You, you do not, if you want the snake, don't bring it near me. They love it, right? I don't, I do not like it. I have a fear of snakes. But anxiety, it's different. Anxiety is like, when you hear about the snake in someone else's yard, you begin to think to yourself, never, ever walk barefoot through the grass again because out there somewhere, there's a snake waiting. Anxiety sounds a little bit like this. What if? What if I lose my job? What if? This thing that's coming just doesn't work out. What if I have a serious health condition? What if my house doesn't sell? What if my car breaks down? What 
scared. My kids have crooked teeth and they don't get married. And they end up someday homeless alongside the road with a sign that says, my parents wouldn't get me braces. What if? You know, I mean, what if? This is what anxiety feels like. It's that, and you, some of you have felt it. And, and maybe you don't suffer from it chronically, but you felt the kink in your neck, the pain, tightness in your back, the clenching of your jaw. But anxiety has the potential to hold us up into emotional pretzels. You know that? You felt that thing in your gut. Like it gives you high blood pressure. You know? Anxiety. I'm, and here's what I believe about anxiety. That it is one of the greatest spiritual oppressions of our time. It's not just a thing that's about our brain. It's partly about our brain but that there's more than that. There's more there. And it's why it's so crucial for us to talk about it. We can't just leave it like it's taboo. Like it's another mental health thing that the church doesn't talk about because the church doesn't have the expertise for it. Because when I read the Gospels, that's not how Jesus treated it. He not only talked about it, he confronted it. He healed it. And his followers consistently talked about a pathway to healing, a way to live life differently. Now, you know that there's more conversation in our culture about this than there's ever been, too, and that's a good thing. And so I was re- watching recently an uh, interview with Carson Daly, and I just want to show it to you, and then I want to make some observations of it. He does a good job of describing a little bit of what his struggle is, but there's some important observations I think we need to make as followers of Jesus, what this, how we bring this into the spiritual realm. So let's watch. I just started talking about inspired by that Kevin Love story. It's something that I can't change about myself. In fact, it's okay. I've learned to embrace it. And hopefully by just being honest and maybe opening up, it'll inspire others to do the same. Looking back on my life, I was a worrywart kid. I was always worrying. My father died when I was five. I had an ulcer when I was in high school. I've been nervous my whole life. My very first panic attack happened, and by the way, I didn't know what it was at the time, happened when I was a host at MTV. Welcome to the show, Total Request Live. The success of my career, I mean, I moved to New York and my life changed overnight. I had a hard time breathing. I was terrified for no apparent reason. At times, I feel like there's a saber-toothed tiger right here, and it is going to kill me, attack me, and bite my head off. I'm scared as if that's really happening. You feel like you're dying. In fact, I went to the hospital, and the first thing you put it on, I got leads on my chest. I'm like, my heart's going to stop, or I'm going to have a heart attack. And of course, what happens is you're perfectly fine. To this day, even when I'm on television, if you ever watch The Voice live on NBC, watch on a Monday or Tuesday night, I'm never still. It's the same thing on Today Show in the morning. In some days, I'm just a little anxious. And you'll see me. I mean, you could be able to tell. You'll see me. I'm fidgeting. People think, you know, they hear, oh, he's anxiety. You know, he's on high-pressure life. You know, they're on television. It has nothing to do with that. I've had heightened anxiety and mild panic attacks uh, at the playground with my own children and wife there. And the feeling was so gripping, so terrifying, that I literally had to leave and excuse myself. I've done relaxing things like I rode my motorcycle across the country to find some relaxing time and had you know, panic-stricken moments in that. 
This is the way I was born. This is the way I'm hardwired. This is kind of the downside of the way I, God made me. And there's a, a tremendous upside as well. You know, so I, I listened to his story, and um, some of you identify strongly, right? Like you've, you've felt that. And um, there's part of his story that unsettles me. Let me tell you what it is. I hear him talk about, this is the way God made me. This is just how it is. And underlying all of that, I hear a man that really has given up hope. I, he said, I've tried everything the world has to offer me, and what I've gotten was coping. What I've got is ways to cope, and I've accepted that that's all there is. And those are important. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I've had good counselors, therapy in my life that have been so helpful to me. And I know people who, like, medicine has helped the physiological balance in their lives to bring something back into order. And that, I'm not disputing any of that. But here's what I want to tell you. I don't believe, and this is, I don't believe this because this is what Jesus said, that this is just a physical an emotional issue. It is a spiritual issue as well. And Carson Daly says, this is just the way God made me. That's not what God says. God says, I've intended for something greater for you. I want to restore you to the way you could be. We have brokenness in our lives. There is no doubt about that. We are born, some of us are born to be more inclined towards that, but Carson Daily, you're wrong. Says, God has so much more. And I want to tell you that this morning because this is what I believe, that God wants to give you hope, that this morning I want you to know you can win the war on worry. You don't have to be like this forever. If you're willing to contend and resist and understand the spiritual element that is here. And this is what Christmas is all about. The coming of Christ is to remind us that we have hope, is to remind us that we are not on our own, is to remind us that we don't have to face this by ourselves. This is why Christ came. This is the truth. And this is what I hope for you this month. Not that you'll just stop worrying, but rather that you'll learn how to contend for the freedom that Christ came to give you. Because when Jesus came in Luke 4, we'll talk about this next week, he didn't come and just say, I have come to help you cope. He said, I came to set you free. But we must be willing and to engage in the process of walking out of that state. He said, I'm opening the door, but you've got to be willing to walk through it. And now, so here's what we're going to do this month. Um, there are two passages in Scripture, and we're going to stay in two passages all month. One of them is in Isaiah 9, and the other is in Philippians 4. And so if you want to turn your Bible app or your Bible, those are the two passages. Put your finger in this morning that we're going we're gonna to go through. You can also find it inside this little thing that says scoop. The Scripture is in there along with the way to follow along this morning and take some notes. But we're going to follow into that because Isaiah 9-6 is about a prophecy Hundreds of years before Jesus came, God said to Isaiah, I want you to give the nation hope, and I want you to tell them about the future coming Messiah, 
And I want, you to put, I want to put some names on who he is. And here's what I believe. If you don't understand who Jesus is, how can you relate to him in the ways that he wants to help you? How can you find the freedom and the joy and the hope without knowing authentically who he is? And so what we're going to do this, this morning and all month is to explore the names of Christ and who he is and understand him that way. And Philippians 4 is going to help us unpack that a little bit better. So, this morning, let's start with who Jesus is, Isaiah 9-6. Some of you who grew up in church, you know this verse really well. For to us, a child is born. For us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Isaiah, of course, is talking about this prophecy of the coming Messiah, who is Christ. And he says this, and he will be called, here they are, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. This morning, we're going to talk about Jesus' wonderful counselor. What does it mean to be a wonderful counselor? This is why Jesus came to be to us a wonderful counselor. So let's unpack that for a minute. Let's start with just understanding what wonderful counselor means. In the Hebrew, wonderful counselor actually translates to incomprehensibly wise incomprehensibly wise king. Now think about that. Like the incomprehensibly wisdom of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the authority. Like incomprehensibly wise king means that there's authority and wisdom. There's someone coming along to advise you that has the authority to do something about it. Think about this in Jesus' life, right? Like incomprehensibly wise king. This is someone who was born of a virgin. And fulfilled, that was actually a prophecy that was fulfilled, along with hundreds of other prophecies written hundreds of years earlier that Jesus fulfilled. One of the reasons that you go, wow, this guy might be really who he says he is. In in Matthew chapter 9, he healed the blind and the lame walked. This is what he did. Like He has the power to do these things. He he healed lepers. He healed. The winds and the storms in Matthew chapter 8, you see this scene where the the disciples go, even the winds and the storms obey him. And because they come to him and they're panicked, and he just says, peace be still. He's calm. He has this calmness about him because he was an incomprehensibly wise king. He raised people from the dead. He changed water into wine. And, of course, this undeniable kind of important fact, the only human to ever have been documented to have died and three days later been resurrected. This is a powerful statement about Jesus. He is the wonderful counselor. Because what he did is he came and he helped us understand that our reality, our physical reality, is not the only reality. That there is a spiritual reality. And that spiritual reality has a direct impact on our physical reality. And and the way he said this and explained it, and then he did it so that we could understand it. He said to a a guy once, your sins are forgiven. And they said, so that you might believe that I have the authority to forgive sins. So in other words, so that you might believe that I have the spiritual power to do things that are spiritually impossible, except for God, rise and walk. And the guy who was paralyzed all his life rose and walked. She said, See, listen, the spiritual realm has an impact on the physical realm, and it is a powerful impact. That's what Jesus did. Now, here's the thing, and this is why this is so important about him helping us deal with our reality. 
Here's the reality. You are going to feel anxious. You're going to feel anxious. There is no way. It's unavoidable to feel anxious. You're going to be anxious about that Christmas party you have to attend with your extended family. You're going to feel anxious about that Christmas shopping that you have yet to do. You, some of you are feeling anxious about the Christmas debt that you're going to incur from the Christmas shopping that you're going to do, right? Like, our families, our life, there are reasons to feel anxious. And it's not just an adult problem. Right? I remember feeling anxious as a kid. I remember far, as, far back in second grade feeling terrible anxiety about going to school. Like, it's real. Carson Daly describes it as like from the time his father died. He lived with anxiety the rest of his life. This feeling that he was on his own, that he had to face life alone. And this is a great source of anxiety. This is why we get anxious. And so here's why we're exploring this today. Because Isaiah said, Jesus has come as your wonderful counselor, as an incomprehensibly wise king to remind you, you are not. Alone. You don't have to face life on your own. You don't have to figure it out on your own. And this is the great message of Christmas. We are not alone. I'm not alone. You're not alone. We're not on our own. There is a wonderful counselor has come to bring you hope. And so here's where we're starting today. And this is what I want you to really receive today and understand fully how it impacts your life, the spiritual reality that feeling anxious is unavoidable. But living anxious, that's optional. You, you're going to feel anxious, but you don't have to live anxious. Because living anxious is what damages us, right? Living anxious is this place where we begin to feel like this what-if doom and gloom all the time. We begin to worry about things that are coming. We begin to dwell on them. There's like this anticipation, and we feel alone, and it can be a spiral. And now here's what I believe, that God wants to write a new chapter in your life. That it's not who you are, but it is part of your story. And God wants to write a new story. He wants to help you contend for a new story. So, how do we understand what it means to have a wonderful counselor? What does that actually mean for us? I want to introduce you to someone who knew what it was like to feel anxious. He nearly drowned. On a regular basis, he would enter a new town and have a death threat. He actually nearly died several times. Um, this is a guy who, like, on a regular basis felt like, I mean, could have felt like at least he was on his own. On a regular basis, he would not have paying jobs and have to depend on others to survive. And his name was Paul. And Paul was a follower of Jesus who lived with what it meant to feel anxious. And he has some wise words about who he understood Jesus was and how that helps us with feeling anxious and what to do with it and how not to live anxious. So we're going to turn to Philippians 4, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today is talking about Philippians 4 as Paul unpacks what to do with anxiety. What does it mean to have a wonderful counselor? What do we do with our anxiety? Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, this is what Paul says. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. 
the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay. So let me let me say two things. Well, first is this. If you you're like me and you you've had anxiety or you've struggled and anxiety is chronic for you, or you're in a time where you're feeling anxious, my guess is you don't want to feel anxious, but you do feel anxious. And you read what Paul says here, you read maybe verse six before if you've grown up in the church, and you've been like do not be anxious. Well, that's easy to say, Paul. Thanks for that hot tip. I'd like to not be anxious, right? But there's no on-off switch. I've looked for the on-off switch. I've, I've tried to do the magic things. I've taken all the advice, and it doesn't just poof. Like, I can't just say, don't be anxious. It doesn't work. I understand. But there's more here. Paul gets to the do not be anxious by what he says before he says do not be anxious. And we're going to talk about I want to say one other thing before we go any further, because I want, I think this is really important. Anxiety, being anxious, is a feeling. It is not a sin. I don't want you to feel anxious about feeling anxious, right? Because it's not a sin, it's a feeling. You can't avoid feelings. Feelings are part of your humanity. And if you don't, if you feel like you don't have feelings, you need to embrace more of your humanity because God made you with some level of feelings. And anxiousness is one of them. Jesus doesn't classify it as a sin. Paul doesn't classify it as a sin. It's not a sin, it's a feeling. And that's important for us to recognize. So here's what Paul says. Before he says, do not be anxious, he starts with this one line. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Let's talk about gentleness for a second. Have you ever met someone, and I want you to think about them in your mind right now, who you consider to be gentle. You met that person, like, you picture them, don't they have a bit of a contagious calm about them? You know what I mean? Like, when they're a gentle person, like, things come their way, and it's kind of overwhelming, and they're just in the middle of crisis, or in the middle of things that you're like, how are you so calm? About what if this could happen? They're like, oh, it's all right. You know, like, there's a, because what Paul's really contrasting here is he takes, his, he takes his first sentence, he says, let your gentleness be evident at all. Later he says, do not be anxious, because really he's saying, this is the opposite of each other. I mean, there's something contagious. Being a gentle person, when your gentleness is evident, it's a bit like being a non-conductor on two electric lines, right? There's anxiety all around you. When you're the non, when you're, everybody, it's a little science, a little science for you. You know what a non-conductor is? Okay, you'll know what a non-conductor is if you're not standing on it when you touch electricity, okay? If you, if you are on a non-conductor, you can touch an electric fence and not get shocked. Ask the farm boy, I'll tell you that, okay? Like, it's important, because if you're not on it, you will get shocked, and you will feel it. Being gentle is like being a non-conductor. It begins to slow down and stop the flow. You don't have to be shocked by what's going on. And some of us have grew up in places where, like, that was the way of life. Like, you... You may have grown up as a way of life of being shocked, being overreacted to everything that happens. Everything around you is a bit of an overreaction. That's the family I grew up in. That's a description of them. My, I used to joke with my mom in college. So I'm, as I'm coming to Christ, my mom would call me in college, okay, and she would ask me all these questions. But all of her questions were, you know what they were centered around? What if, what if, what if, what if? Like, did you take care of this? Did you take care of that? Are you worried? Like, what about this? So I used to begin to call it my... Mom's worry list, right? Like, here's the list, Mom. Let me just start and get all the list, all the things that you've got to worry about all week. Now, 
she also learned to pray about them, but she just, it's just part of her upbringing. She worried about everything. There was always something to worry about next. And I began to replicate that in my own life, even as a kid. My dad, he was an overreactor, but his was anger, right? Anything that was not going the way you wanted was anger, overreaction. So guess what happened when I came to Jesus? I met some people that were gentle, and I was like, whoa, that's weird, right? Because I didn't know that that's, you could live like that. It was normal for me to have overreaction in my life, to get angry, to be worried about every single thing in my life, and always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I don't even know what that means. Anybody really know what that means? I mean, I know what it means, but I don't know why is the shoe dropping. I have no idea. But I do know this. I know what it feels like to be thinking about what's the next problem that's going to come. What's where, I mean, one of the greatest gifts in my life is marrying a wife who has a gift of faith, who didn't grow up or didn't have given a gift if she's just different. And she's able to speak peace into my life. She's, a, she's my non-conductor. It's taught me a lot. Here's what I can tell you, though. In my own journey of following Jesus, the reason I've gone from being way overreacting to closer to the cross and what Christ is like is because I began to trust his advice. I began to trust his person as a wonderful counselor. I began to follow it and test it. And when I saw it was true, I kind of put a spiritual marker down and said, well, that one's true. And I began to build a foundation of truths in my life to say, well, that one's true. Well, that one's true. Well, that one's true. And so when I faced the next thing that was unpredictable, I began to look back over all the other things that were true and said, well, wonderful counselor said these were true. Taking a deep breath, and I'm going to rely on that for the next thing. He's my wonderful counselor. I'm not in it alone. That's what I thought growing up, that I was alone. Now, I don't know how you struggle with anxiousness, but I do think that we all, maybe you didn't grow up in a house that was filled with overreaction or anxiety, but maybe you did lose a parent in for some way. Someone that you could count on disappeared, and you felt like, how am I going to handle this? I'm alone. Like, what if this next thing happens? And gentleness, gentleness is who Jesus is. Gentleness is what happens when we begin to trust in who Jesus is. We begin to trust in his advice and what he has to offer us. Now, I want you to think about what that would be like in your home. If you were gentle, if your gentleness became evident to all, if you became a non-conductor, less tears, less anger, less worry. I mean, don't you want your kids to learn that from you? That would be a beautiful gift. This is what God, this is what Paul encourages us to. How do we get there? So this is where it's important that we read this entire scripture and we understand how it's connected. Let your gentleness be evident to all. How do you get there? Paul says, the Lord is near. And then he says, do not be anxious. He says, the Lord is not far. The Lord is not far away. You're not on your own. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. Now, so, so here's the disadvantage for us in our New Testament English version. It has these numbers in it that we call verses. This is a way that, like, it was, that references happened. 
you know it wasn't actually written this way. Like Paul didn't write numbers and chapters in his letter that he was writing to people because that would just be weird, right? Like so he this didn't happen until much later. Anybody actually know when the Bible got the English Bible got versatized? Anybody? I didn't either. I looked it up. 1551. That's when the first time that someone put chapters and verses so that you could reference, where do I find that? Where is that at? So here's my point. When we read the Scripture, if we want to read it the way it was written and understand it the way it was written, we have to kind of remove those for a moment and say, okay, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. You see how Paul's connecting? It's not a random thought. It's a way to help us understand you are not alone. Do you know what the other word, the other name for Jesus is in Christmas? Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. It's like God came incarnate in the flesh and said, I never want you to worry again that you are on your own. I never want you to doubt again that you don't have my help. I never want you to doubt again that I am far away, on a distance, not paying attention. I am laying down my life. I am going to be present in your life. I have good advice, and I'm here to help. And that changes everything for us. Paul says he is a wonderful counselor. And so if you feel like there's no magic wand to wave to get rid of your anxiety, you're right. But here's what there is. A pathway to contend for peace. A way to resist worry and anxiety. Everyone, I mean, just think about this for a second. What if you really believe that the Lord is near? What if this Christmas season, every Christmas light that you saw, reminded you that the light of the world is present, has come, and is still here? What if every decoration that you see wherever you are reminds you of the beauty that Christ is inviting you to experience because he's not far, because he came close, and he wants to be close in your life as well? What if this was your mantra? The Lord is near, do not. The Lord is near, do not be anxious. Can we say that together today? Let's just say it aloud together. Ready? One, two, three. The Lord is near, do not be anxious. What if that came with you with a deep breath to know that this was true, that this could be true for you? Because here's what I think happens when we're overwhelmed, when anxiety is spiraling for us, when we feel like we are on our own to handle our what ifs, anxiety and all of that thinking becomes a magnifying glass to every single problem we have. And the problem is right here and it feels huge. And so, you know, that deadline that you face It's so big because you're on your own and you put it right here in front of you and it's like a magnifying glass. It is huge in front of you. It's all you see and that that deadline you face becomes a potential loss of your job. You know, and that that child that you just don't know what to do with rolls out and it looks so big. All you can see is a failed future. That spouse that you need to forgive, all you can see is a failed marriage. That, That... That debt 
that you have that's bigger than your income. You're like, what am I going to do with it? It just seems so big. And all it becomes is a financial disaster in your life. Because that's what the magnifying glass of isolation and aloneness and worry does. What if the Lord is near and it's true? What if we could see this differently? What if God is nearer and our problems begin to get smaller? What if we began to really believe that the wonderful counselor was close and near to us? It would change everything, wouldn't it? Do you know, there's this common saying in our culture, face your fears. You've got to face your fears. Like, that's how you overcome your fear. You've got to face your fears, right? Do you know who says that usually? People who aren't afraid. I mean, right? Am I, am I wrong? No, I mean, that's who says it. So here's what Jesus says. This is not something that's in the Bible. Here's what Jesus says. In John 14, he says, come and receive my peace so that you will not be He doesn't say, go do that on your own, face your fear, hunt it down, and then figure it out. No, he says, invite me into this space, receive my peace, that I am near, that I am with you, that I have good advice, that I will help you, I will be your advocate, and then you can face your fear then you won't have to be afraid. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, feeling anxious is unavoidable, but living anxious, that's optional. You don't have to face it alone. So Paul ends with this instruction in verse 6. He says, but in every situation, present your requests to God. Present your requests to God. So what Paul is saying here is, listen, you, you need to know the Lord is near, and you don't have to be anxious. And here's why he says, because you need to take your requests and bring them to God. Now, when he says request, the Greek here actually means specific request. Bring your specific request to God. Now, here's the thing about anxiety. If you've ever felt it, you know this. It's ambiguity, right? There's ambiguity to your anxiety, and that's why it feels, you feel anxious, because there's too much unknown. You don't know what it is. There's all these what-ifs, and you go to define it, and you're like, I don't even know. Paul says, make it specific. If I told you today that I was, I wanted your advice, and I'm going to stop by sometime to get it to your house, right? You would probably be like, oh, that's nice, but you wouldn't really take me seriously. But if I told you today that I need your advice, and I'm going to stop by your house today at 3 p.m., you'd probably be ready for me, right? You'd probably be like, man, that guy, he's a pastor. He's really messed up. He needs advice from me, right? <laughs> that's all true, too. Um, so... But my point is, you would be ready. And this is, this is the truth, that a specific request is a serious request, isn't it? When it gets specific, it gets serious. And you go to God in prayer and you say, God, I have something very specific. And what it does is it narrows that anxiety down. It forces you to say, what is really going on that I need to bring into God's presence? I'm not going to just say, God, take away my anxiety. I'm going to bring the source of my anxiety into God's presence, say, Jesus, I need your peace. I need you to bring me peace. I need you to help me with this. This is the wisdom I need. I don't know what to do about X, Y, and Z. Will you help me give me wisdom? You are my wonderful counselor. You are not far. You are near. Give me the strength. Give me what I need to proceed. Too often we're just like, God, just make it go away. That's not specific. Paul says, be specific. Bring it into God's presence, into the wonderful counselor. And get the advice you need. Have you ever seen a wise counselor? 
have. Man, when you see a wise counsel, what's it do, right? It doesn't bring you hope because you're like, you get this good advice, and you're like, wow. I mean, I, I remember sitting with Dr. J one time, and he was giving me some wise counsel about what was going on with my family, and he helped me see some things about the way I was acting with my kids that was totally, I was totally, I mean, no, no big surprise. I was messing them up. That's what we all do as parents, right? We just kind of mess up. But his insight gave me hope because I was like, I didn't know that was, oh, okay. Now, imagine if you could bring that into the presence of Christ, the living Christ, who is not only the wise, incomprehensible counselor, he is the wise, incomprehensibly wise king who has the power and the love and the authority to make a difference in your life. And Paul says this will be the result. We're going to talk about this later. Back to Christmas Eve. Philippians 4, 7. And then you will experience God's grace. And it will guard your hearts if you'll bring it into his presence. So this is what Paul's encouraging us to understand. Feeling anxious, it's a way of life. Living anxious, optional. But you have to be willing to contend it. You have to be willing to resist it. So here's what I want to encourage you to do today. On the bottom of your outline today, you will find a list of promises. A list of scriptures that address anxiety. A way for you to see Jesus is near. A way for you to understand God is near. A way for you to embrace God's nearness and his power to address your problems. To make them specific. God is your protector, as your rescuer, as your helper, as your source of strength, as your savior. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do this week. To contend every day for to bring your problems into Christ's presence. There's a little, there's a little prayer right on there. And I'm going to give you a moment right now. And you, can, you can write this on your outline, then you can write it on your response card, and we'll actually pray for you this week the same way. But here's, here's what I want you to fill in. There's blanks right there. Jesus, I'm afraid and anxious about. I want you to think about, do you feel anxious right now? What is it? What's the specific thing, situation, person, the what if that is making you anxious? What is it? Name it today. Name it each day this week. Don't be afraid of it because you're going to bring it into Christ's presence. You don't have to be afraid. I am not alone. Jesus, you are my wonderful counselor, so I am choosing to trust in this promise instead of my fear that God is my. And you read that scripture and you fill that in and you make it your mantra this week. You make it your prayer. Can you do that? Are you willing to contend for the freedom that God wants for you, for the peace that the wonderful counselor wants to give you? So I'm going to give you a moment. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head for a moment and quiet. If you need to fill that in, you can. I'm just going to give you a moment of quiet. And then I'm going to pray. And I just want to ask that you'll ask God. God, help me to name it. And then help me to bring it into your presence. I'm going to promise it to you.
Lord Jesus, for some of us it's been a while since we just were able to honestly come with our fears and our anxiety and really name it. Here it is, God. Here it is, Jesus. I need your advice. I need your help. For some of us, we, we've known that you say that you're near, but we haven't believed it in our hearts. We haven't trusted it. We haven't tried it on as true in our lives. We've wanted you to take our anxiety, but we didn't know that you want us to engage with you in it, in a relationship, trust. You say, I need your peace, God, so here it is. Here's where I'm at. Give me wise counsel. God, we bring people into our lives this week who are non-conductors, who are people who are gentle. God, will you raise up that gentleness within us for the sake of the other people in our life as we put stakes in our ground because we've trusted that what you said could be true and we've tested it to be true. Will you remind us of the places where you've been our rescuer and our savior and our giver of peace? Jesus, help us not to face anxiety on our own, but rather with you. Help us to declare the victory that you give us over that oppression, to not just see it as an emotional issue, but as a spiritual issue. Help us to resist the temptation to believe that we are on our own. Let us grow in this trust. You are our wonderful counselor. You are my wonderful counselor. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name.